Hello, and in today's episode of the UK Gamers Podcast, we're going to be talking about the D&D OGL drama. Now, this is a subject you've either not heard of or are sick to death of. So, for those of you sick to death, uh, let me give you a parting gift of the words capitalism, community, and trust. So, there you go. Away away with you. Uh, For the rest of you, um, let's talk about the drama. Um, Now, if you haven't heard about it, um, the OGL was something created by Wizards of the Coast back when they took over the Dungeons and Dragons brand. And there is an argument to say not only did it save D&D, it created a massive RPG community which uh, is built around the OGL and includes D&D, D&D adjacent games and games that have absolutely nothing to do with D&D at all. So when news broke, I guess, this week or last week about a new OGL, there was bound to be a bit of a reaction. What that reaction was would depend on the contents of the OGL and the messaging. And I would say the contents of the new OGL and the messaging have been an absolute PR disaster and has caused all this drama. But before we go into that, let's cast our minds all the way back to 1974, where you had Dave and Gary get together and basically agree to produce Dungeons and Dragons. Very quickly, the wheels came off the bus. There was a disagreement between the two of them. Gary seemed to rather aggressively be attacking other creators, other RPG games, cutting out David from his royalties. That all potentially got resolved. Um, But then Gary himself got stabbed in the back, kicked out of his own company. Uh, Lorraine Williams took over. Second edition came out. TSR aggressively went after lots of other RPG games, including Gary's new game, Dangerous Journeys. And so this set a pattern for D&D to be very protective of its IP and very litigious. But this backfired. TSR, you know, various failed ventures and expensive litigation um, found themselves in big trouble. And then when Magic the Gathering came along, and I would also argue Vampire the Masquerade... um, a lot of the market for D&D dried up. You know, players got older, gave up on D&D, switched to Magic or to Vampire, and Wizards of the Coast then arrives, buys up D&D, and realises there's big problems. And there was probably some quite controversial discussions, but it eventually resulted in the third edition of D&D and the creation of the OGL, which took a lot of ideas from the free software, creative commons, open licensing uh, models. And what this allowed people to do is to, in sort of good faith, produce content for the third edition game, which meant that a massive community could be formed, lots of creativity, lots of niche markets. Now, admittedly, it did also result in a load of crud and possibly offensive material um, sort of being available for the D&D game. But I would say, on the whole, the benefits outweighed the negatives. And D&D sort of exploded. Uh, In fact, it exploded a bit too much because you ended up with something called Pathfinder, which was a very... D&D adjacent game which then challenged the new version of D&D 4th edition which was not proving to be very popular uh, people didn't desperately like the rules or or the particular selection of races but I think more importantly than that what really did for it is people didn't like the new license because the OGL in some ways was maybe a bit too permissive for Wizards and Hasbro so they introduced this, I think, game license or GSR. I can't remember the name of it, but 
there was a new license that was much more onerous, much more restrictive, much more cumbersome, and people hated it. And this drove lots of third parties away from D&D. And for those people who were really into D&D, what they did is instead they switched their allegiance to this thing called Pathfinder. And Pathfinder became so big, it was almost, if not did, eclipse D&D. And, you know, I, I wasn't a big fan of second edition D&D, uh, and I wasn't particularly keen on third or fourth either. So I'm, I was a little bit remote from what was going on, but it did seem very obvious to me that, you know, in the past, if you said role-playing games, most people's first response was D&D. It was getting to the stage where it then became Vampire, and then it became Pathfinder. And so D&D almost sunk into oblivion. But the OGL rode back to the rescue of D&D, and with 5th edition, Wizards were able to get the fan base and the community back on board. They engaged with the community. They they brought them on side. They did a brilliant job at persuading people, hey, look, 5th edition is going to be different. 5th edition is going to be what you, the community, want. And because we're using the OGL, you can produce content for us. You can grow D&D with us. And people bought into this, and a big community has built up around the OGL. And as I say, the OGL was so good it not only worked for D&D it also worked for retro clones pathfinder and all sorts of other bits but it also worked for things like I think mutants and masterminds and uh, fate all had like OGL versions where it was a sort of a, a boilerplate piece of text that gave you a bit of assurance that you could produce a game that complied with a system reference document and you would be safe from the sort of spurious litigation that TSR had engaged in, which destroyed people's lives, including TSR's and the D&D brand. And so everything is looking rosy, but started to be wobbles. Um, there is a new version of D&D coming. Um, you could refer to it as 6th edition. It's officially titled 1D&D. Hasbro has bought... Um, D&D Beyond or Beyond D&D which is like a, an online subscription service which a lot of people have signed up for because it's got lots of cool things but where start people started getting worried and again this is where um, we actually enter the story that has created the OGL drama is that in investor meetings Hasbro started talking about things that make people get a bit twitchy about late stage capitalism and stuff um d d is under-monetized. Dungeon Masters are buying our products, but the players aren't. More of the player base need to be subscribing to D&D Beyond. Making books is not desperately profitable. We'd much rather kind of put it all behind our firewall of our subscription service. All these sort of messages were coming out at investor meetings. And uh, in particular, what, what really alarmed people is that Dungeons and Dragons and Magic the Gathering are the big profit makers for Hasbro. So obviously there's a lot of focus on there. And a lot of investors are probably looking at Hasbro and saying, what are you doing to get the maximum value out of your brand known as D&D? Because we think there's massive growth there. And so the sense of community and a, a sort of uh, symbiotic relationship with Hasbro was starting to get a bit wobbly. Now, at the same time, there's rumours about a new OGL starting to bubble up. And I believe I've read somewhere that in October, November last year, this new OGL was starting to be touted around to various third parties to try and get people to sign up to it. And I don't know what 
that OGL was, whether it's the version that actually got leaked or an earlier version or whatever, but literally, as I say, in the last two weeks, a version of OGL 1.1 popped out onto the internet and there was a bit of a mixed reaction to it. Some people thought it was sort of not real. Some people thought this was rumour. Some people thought it was a draft. Uh, there was all sorts of scuttlebutt about it. But, you know, joining up the pieces of the traditional attitudes to people who own the D&D brand, the fourth edition era license, the, the the statements to investors, when I saw this, I thought, this is exactly what they want to do. This isn't a draft. This is real. Now, it might get changed a bit based on some feedback, but it's pretty much, I would say, 90% ironclad what they want to roll out and it also became uh, clear that this was an OGL that they wanted to release on the 12th of January and it was going to have all sorts of onerous things one of one which was to revoke OGL 1A and anyone who wanted to be still under the OGL banner had I think it was 30 days to sign up to the new OGL 1.1 which would be a really bad idea. There was all sorts of clauses in there about taking your property off you um, and using it on their own platforms for their own purposes. Um, I think it was any one earning more than $750,000 would have to give them 20% of their money. Now, bear in mind, this isn't on profit. This is just on turnover. And 750000 might sound like a a pretty big figure if all you're doing is chucking out uh, small little pamphlets every now and then but for a lot of shall we say slightly bigger third parties that could be pretty bad news and of course the little sting in the tail is there was a clause that they could change what that figure was at any time so in theory you could sign up to OGL 1.1 and think I'm not affected by this but then, literally two weeks later, actually we've changed our mind. It's anyone who's made more than seven hundred and fifty pounds owes us twenty percent of their turnover. Um, so there was all sorts of really dodgy things in there. Now, how realistically Hasbro would invoke various clauses and all that is beside the point. Uh, and this is where we get to the community and the trust. So if we take off our tinfoil hat and we ignore all the hype and hysteria. The key thing that's come out from this OGL drama is that enough people thought this was a genuine move by Hasbro to move things online, to cut out third parties, to punish third parties, and also put OGL 1A, which people thought was going to be forever, in doubt. Now, a lot of people, I think, were thinking, well, if 1.1 comes out and I've got something that is version 1, well, I'll just stay on version 1. But if I want to write stuff for one D&D, then I recognise I have to switch to 1.1. But I'm not going to do that. I'll just stick with 5th edition. Well, that didn't seem possible because, you know, version 1A was going to be revoked. So the whole trust with Hasbro just evaporated very, very quickly. And I think that feeds into, as I say, the, the big thing from this. Um, as I say, I've seen lots of people like, I don't care. Now, why are people getting excited? Well, the reason you need to get excited about this is this is the biggest player in the marketplace making an aggressive anti-community move. And it not only impacts, you know, the big players, but it could also impact the little people. You know, the community felt like it was under attack and the OGL became something you, you know, wasn't worth the paper it was written on. 
Now, I have seen some arguments that the OGL isn't worth the paper it's written on because you don't actually need it. But the reason people liked it is it was a, a sort of a guarantee you wouldn't get sued because I could put out a game that is, I know, um, Diamonds and Demontes, and it's basically D&D. But there's nothing in there that's, strictly speaking, copyright. That doesn't mean Hasbro couldn't slap some litigation on me and sue me into um, bankruptcy. And, okay, I might end up in the long run winning that case if I had the money to argue it in court. But the fact of the matter is, you know, I would get bankrupt before I could prove that I was innocent. And that's sort of what TSR was doing. So the OGL was a solution to that. So people had rallied to that cause, and that's suddenly all been torpedoed. And it also provides a very bad optics. Now, of course, it started off as all a bit of hot air and drama, but things got a bit spicy when the third parties who were potentially being asked to sign this 1.1 OGL, or would be asked to sign it but hadn't been asked yet, pretty much all came out one after the other saying, we reject the 1.1. In fact, we believe OGL 1A is a valid and irrevocable license, and therefore, you know, Hasbro go fish. Uh, but because you have put so much um, bad faith out there, we have decided that OGL 1 no longer works for us. So we're going to create our own version of it. And Paizo has created a thing called, I think, the Open Role-Playing Community License, or ORC. And, um, yeah, I can see a lot of the community flock into the banner of ORC and rejecting OGL. And the risk here is this is going to really swing the community away from D&D. And so this is really backfired in Hasbro's face. So that's all potential um, drama for the future. But drama for the now also happened when people started saying, hey, you know that D&D Beyond, that's where Hasbro sees all their money, where they see all their, you know, future. So tell you what, if you've got a D&D Beyond uh, subscription, cancel it. And that will empty, effectively, Hasbro's bank accounts and um, hit them where it really hurts, in the wallet. So that's what's happened. Loads of people have been cancelling uh, their D&D Beyond accounts. And that has had such a massive impact. It it sort of killed the server. Now, depending on how sort of anti-Hasbro uh, you want to be, um, it was a sort of denial of service attack with sheer volume of numbers or a deliberate, oh, let's make the server shut down so people can't um, unsubscribe. But it doesn't matter. There was a a significant enough volume of people that it sent a powerful message to Hasbro that their decisions that they had considered making were not popular. And so we get to the 12th of January where D&D Beyond is going to do a stream and talk about the new OGL, uh, allegedly. That got all cancelled, and then on the 13th they finally put out an announcement, and there's been quite a big backlash against that. Um, a lot of people have said this is full of lies and mistruths and PR spin. And in fact, some people said, you know, specifically, there are five lies, blatantly obvious lies in this statement um, that prove that OGL 1.1 was a genuine thing, was meant to go live on the 12th. But the community reaction means that Hasbro's had to rethink. And what worries us is they haven't been contrite enough and there's still more drama to come. And that's sort of where we are at the moment. So this has really put the community against Hasbro. 
it's also divided the community amongst itself with those who are pro-Hasbro, those who are anti-Hasbro, those who don't think it's anything to worry about, those who think it's a big deal. Um, I think it is a bit of a big deal. Um, but what we won't know for about six months is how much the anger is going to keep going and how damaging this will be. Now, there is this theory of, a, I think it's called a thermocline, where once you get over a certain tipping point, there's no recovery. And what we don't know is, has Hasbro crossed that threshold to the point where no matter what they do now, they will never get the community back? Um, I would say we're close to the we're close to that um, tipping point, but I'm not sure if we are over it. Um, but I think with all the third parties either going Creative Commons, their own license, or a vast majority of the big players rallying around the Orc uh, banner, um, I, I think we're in for a bit of an interesting ride. Now, I've never really been a Pathfinder player because I wasn't really into third edition, um, but to you know check it out, uh, I have actually ordered myself Pathfinder second edition, see what all the fuss is about. I worry it's maybe a little bit crunchy, a little bit too, dare I say it, munchkin um, supporting. Um, I'm a bit more of a rules like sort of wing it as you go along sort of player these days. I don't really like a 600 page rule book. So I've got the starter set, which I believe is a much more palatable set of rules and options um, and doesn't require you to like go to the gym to carry your rule book around so it'd be interesting to see what i make of uh, pathfinder and it would also be interesting to see as i say how much of the community switches their allegiance and again going all the way back to the top of the show where i said capitalism community and trust and i think all three of these have come together in a perfect storm to create this drama around the ogl it is important it's very important if you're a D&D player or creator. Um, probably more important to the creators than the players, to be frank. But, you know, when you've got MCDM, Cobalt Press, Paizo, and uh, what's it, Necrotic Games, uh, I think even Chaosium, Green Running, all coming out quite strongly against Wizards of the Coast and uh, this OGL move, um, you know, things are happening. Uh, Critical Role is another key um, player in this. Now, because of their deal with um, you know the D and D brand, they are quite handcuffed on what they can say. So we don't know if they're pro this move, anti this move, done a deal, uh, and we'll only find that out eventually. But it is interesting that Critical Role started off as a, a Pathfinder homebrew, switched to Fifth Edition, and they've got a season which is sort of fairly far along playing fifth edition possibly meant to be moving to one D. will they negotiate their way out of that contract and switch back to pathfinder or go with their own set of rules that apparently they're meant to be working on um be interesting to see um basic fantasy which is a big uh, game for me as a, as a beautiful ode to the bx rule set um they're talking about going Creative Commons, share alike uh, with accreditation. So, uh, what's it? Uh, CCBYSA, uh, I believe, is the license. Um, so, that's going to be interesting to see um, which direction various players go in and how that all shakes out in the long run. Enough waffling. Until the next one, happy gaming.